from PRX. This is Studio 360. I'm Kurt Anderson. What do you mean I'm a witch? You're a witch. Now, you're not alone. I'm a witch, Hilda's a witch, your father's a witch. And I suppose my mom's a witch, too. I always thought so. That is from the premiere episode of Sabrina the Teenage Witch, a primetime hit show created in the 1990s by Nell Scovell. Even if you've never heard of Nell, you have almost certainly seen her work. She has written for everything from The Simpsons to Late Night with David Letterman to Newhart to Murphy Brown to Monk. She also co-wrote Sheryl Sandberg's 2013 best-selling book, Lean In. Now, Nell has just published her own book, her first, a memoir called Just the Funny Parts, which is a candid and funny portrayal of her 30-year career in a very male-dominated part of show business. But before she broke into show business, into TV, Nell got her start as a professional funny person in 1986 at a magazine, which I had just co-founded. We met at Spy Magazine, where I was hired as the first reporter. And you were like 25, I'm thinking? That's right. At the time, I was married to a man who had access to a lot of money, and uh, you were trying to get him to invest in Spy, and he was not interested, but he um, he gave me the perspective. Well, he, I believe he threw it at me and said, this sounds like something you would be interested in. And um, I lasted longer at Spy than I did in the marriage. Yeah. My producers say I have to say who it is. Uh, it's Donald Trump. No, it was <laughs> a, a, a member of the Tish family. Yeah. Yeah. I'm blanking on his name right now. Yeah. Tom. <laughs> um, and, uh, and by the way, later on, I, I don't know why, if it was still when you were at Spy, but it was his father-in-law whom we called the Churlish... Uh, no, his, his uncle. No, no, that was his... That was his dad? Yeah. Oh, Churlish Dwarf Billionaire? Yes, my, huh. that was my father, really? wow. former father-in-law. And were you, were you at the magazine when we, when we made up that epithet? I was, because I worked on uh, Little Men really? with oh, you. Well, there Remember, you go. I did the chart of the men right. standing so on we, their money? So we kind of enabled the divorce, I guess. <laughs> no, we, uh, I did not come up with that yeah. nickname. No, I don't think, I'm, I'm, I'm not accusing you of that. But, <laughs> but how, how good that you, you know, that shows that there was, a, if not a church and state wall, a something and something wall that oh, you, I did, had you journalistic didn't that. Yeah. integrity. Yeah, exactly. And, and I've, I've run into your ex-husband many times over the years, and he always, he, he, the thing he says is that, no, I didn't invest, but I give you the best investment, uh, the <laughs> oh, most valuable really? thing. Yes, he does. He does. Well, that's kind of sweet. Yeah, it is sweet. And so we hired you. We were starting this funny magazine of journalism, Spy. And okay, but but yeah. did you hire me because you thought you'd get money? No. Oh, okay. Of course not. Oh, that's nice. I've I always I, wanted to ask you. No, I think, in fact, he'd already turned us down. Right. Um, I think you say in the book that you got hired because you came in with a bunch of story ideas. Is that right? I did, including Too Rich and Too Thin. Yeah. Which uh, One of your most famous stories. It was, and one which, if you recall, you said could not be reported because women wouldn't talk about their weights. And I was like, no, these women will. Yeah, and no, and you were clearly right. I, I, I still love it. I still love the way it looks. Designed, by the way, by this person who designed uh, your cover, Alexander Alex Isley. Isley. Of your book. Can you read the first line of this piece, which I've brought with me? Sure. In New York, there is an inverse relationship between a woman's dress size and the size of her apartment. 
A size 2 gets a 14-room apartment. A size 14 gets a two-room apartment. Which is a brilliant aphorism. I mean, you know, uh, Oscar Wilde, Dorothy Parker. Uh, it's great. Uh, was that a joke you had and you were just waiting for the right moment to stick it somewhere? Well, the Duchess of Windsor famously had a pillow on her sofa that said, you can never be too rich or too thin. Um, and among high society, it, it was considered ultra chic to be the smallest size possible. I remember Caroline Roan would treat herself to one Oreo cookie a night. That, and she was a rich Manhattan lady of that era. Yeah. And I just thought um, people overdid it. And you, this was a reported story. It wasn't just saying, hey, look at all these skinny rich women. You you went out and talked to people about thinness and wealth. I did. And it was at a time where you could pick up the phone and call someone at their home and they would pick up. It was before publicists ruined reporting. Right. I also sounded really young, and to this day, I'm convinced. You were really young. I I was, but also I got Ed Schlossberg on the phone, who was Caroline Kennedy's husband and would famously not speak to any reporters. And I'm convinced it's because he thought I was a high school student. My biggest regret, though, was um, when I was reporting a story on gold diggers. I don't know. I think, actually, I think it was your story idea. And I had put in a call to Pamela Harriman. Remember, Pamela Churchill, uh, Avril Harriman. Right. And um, I went out to get a cup of coffee, and I came back, and they, Lisa Lampanelli, who was our— The future famous comedian who was a fact-checker at Spy Magazine. Yeah, I think handed me a pink while you were out slip that she had tried to call me, and I called back, and she was on a plane back to Paris. So I missed that phone wow. call. So you left Spy to start writing for television. No, no. I went to Vanity Fair first. Oh, right. There was Remember, Vanity and Graydon stuff. told me I was making the biggest mistake of my life. Right. And this is some years before he became editor of Vanity yeah, Fair. Yeah, just a couple. Well, we had a good laugh about that in his office. Um, but then you went to television. <laughs> I did. How did that happen? So I bump into Joanne Gruber. Who was our manager, or our co- chief copy editor and then our managing editor at Spy. Right. Yeah. And, and she kind of pauses and then says to me, Nell, I don't mean this as an insult, but I think you could write for television. Um, And it truly was the first time I'd ever considered it. I remember us thinking of you when we hired you. It was like, wow, she's she's so jokey. She's so (laughs) butter-da-dum compared to the rest of us. Nothing makes me happier than writing a a good joke. Yeah. And, um, you know, I wanted to write like you because you wrote those beautiful introductions that were so smart and funny. Um, but, yeah, I couldn't resist going for the zinger. So once uh, our colleague said, you know, you should go right for television, you said, well, by golly, I will, and, and what? And, and left your husband and moved to L.A. All right. <laughs> I knew one person in the business. And really, if you know one person, you can find a way in, which is why Twitter's so great. Like, if you can just find that person... And I said, what do you do? And he said, well, you write a spec script. And he introduced me to an agent who liked my spy pieces and said, I'll represent you based on those. And uh, I sat down and wrote a spec script. And, and then that got you a job? You know, trying something new really should be the easiest thing in the world because if you try it and it works out great, uh, that's wonderful. And if you try it and you fail, you just go, well, I've never done that before. Uh, So 
what was weird was I write this spec script. My agent sends it into its Gary Shandling show, and they buy it. Huh. So it's like getting a home run at your first at-bat as a rookie. So this is the prototype of modern cool TV. It was, and very absurdist. The most popular show at the time was The Cosby Show, and if I'd been smart, I would have written a spec script for them. Yeah, and you would have had a a, a better first chapter for this particular book, probably. (laughs) Um, Your first real job, uh, I think, in TV was... uh, working at the uh, short-lived Fox late-night show, The Wilton North Report. Now, for those who have never heard of it, there might be some. Um, uh, uh, what was it? By the way, Fox denies it ever existed. They do not. They do. We called to get permission to use some photographs, and they said the show was not in their database. That's they, funny. They wiped it from their corporate memory. And how would you describe that show? It, it was a combination of comedy and journalism. In a way, it was like The Daily Show. Like The Daily Show, except not good. Not good, and it was also before digital right. cameras, so... You didn't have the wherewithal to cut things quickly. Right. And it lasted mu- it didn't even last a year, did it? <laughs> it lasted a month. Really? Wow. That was it. Wow. Um, for a show uh, of so- that had such an ignominious run, uh, they're a pretty impressive roster of writers, right? It was. I mean, we the guys in the office next door to me were named uh, Greg Daniels and Conan O'Brien. And, uh, and Greg Daniels later created Parks and Rec and, and the, the American Office. Right, and King of the Hill. Right. And um, I don't know what happened to Conan, but um, he was a very funny man. And, like Conan and Greg Daniels, you uh, wrote for The Simpsons, right? I did. I wrote the episode where Homer eats blowfish and thinks he's going to die. Right. This is 1991, which is really early in the, in the existence of The Simpsons. It's second season. Uh, and I called after watching the very first episode and said, I want to work on this show. In, 80, in really, 89. Yeah. yeah. And I don't think they were getting a lot of calls at that time because it was just this weird-ass cartoon. On this weird little network that wasn't really a network, Fox. Oh, it was so mean. I loved it. Yeah. And this came from what? Going to sushi restaurants or eating blowfish or what? I've never tried blowfish. It came from, I think, wanting to know more about the character because it was so early in the show. And the idea is, well, if someone's about to die, you really do find out what's important to them. Let's play a clip uh, from from the episode, your episode, One Fish, Two Fish, Blowfish, Bluefish. You have 24 hours to live. 24 hours? Well, 22. I'm sorry I kept you waiting so long. Oh, Marge, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. <laughs> well, if there's one consolation, it's that you'll feel no pain at all until sometime tomorrow evening when your heart suddenly explodes. <laughs> now, a little death anxiety is normal. Uh, you can expect to go through five stages. The first is denial. No way, because I'm not dying. Second is anger. Why, you little... <laughs> After that comes fear. What's after fear? What's after fear? Bargaining. Doc, you got to get me out of this. I'll make it worth your while. Finally... Acceptance. Well, we all got to go jump time. Mr. Simpson, your progress astounds me. So smart to turn the Kubler-Ross thing <laughs> into, into like a long comedy bit. The Simpsons room was so deep in talent. And I think that run came right out of the room with George Myers and Al Jean and Mike Reese pitching in. Yeah. TV writing is best, I think, is when it's writing as a team sport and you really use the the best of what everyone has to offer. So I did come in with the idea of the blowfish, and then we 
batted around some big ideas of where it could lead. You know, Homer makes his vow at the end to live life to its fullest. I'm alive, and I couldn't be happier. (laughs) From this day forward, I vow to live life to its fullest. And then he's sitting on the couch watching bowling and eating pork rinds. Which is, which is, um, I am told, among uh, Simpson fans, considered one of the great endings of a, of all six hundred odd Simpsons episodes. The best sitcoms, I think, are when they enlighten our own lives. Uh, and and lots of those people that you worked with are still writing Simpsons episodes. Why did you leave? Well, I was a freelancer, and um, and they didn't want girls. What they didn't. Yeah. Sam Simon was going through a bad divorce at the time, and told someone that he uh, would prefer not to have a woman in the room. They didn't have another woman write an episode um, for five more seasons. Really? Yeah. Wow. You were, for those in those early years, usually the only woman, it sounds like, from from reading this book. I was in Newhart and Coach and Letterman, Simpsons. Once once you were a successful TV writer in Elskovel, was it easier, though, to be that Rosemarie character from Dick Van Dyke? (laughs) Well, think about it. They only had three writers, so they had 33% women. That (laughs) was far better than any room. It was incredible when I got to Murphy Brown, and there were four women and I think six men in that room, and not having the additional burden of having to represent Uh all women uh, was wonderful. So, jumping ahead to your non-television second act or third act or whatever it is, uh, 2011, uh, you get a new writing partner in Sheryl Sandberg, uh, the chief operating officer of that company, Facebook. Uh, How did that collaboration begin? She was about to give a speech at Annapolis. You mean the Naval Academy? The Naval Academy. It's called the Forrestal Lecture. And she asked me to take a look at what she had written And it was the first time she actually used the phrase, lean in. And that was her phrase or your phrase? Her phrase. Oh, Oh, absolutely. Have you talked to her recently about, you know, why Facebook uh, hates America? (laughs) No. No? Uh, No, we don't get into that. Uh, Well, that'll be be the the second sequel, I guess, right? Like, lean in. (laughs) What was the second one called? Oh, option B. Option B. Although I just wanted, my joke is if I had written... Lean in alone. It would have been called barge in, yeah. <laughs> and nobody would have read it. And the next, and the third one will be get out or something. I don't know. Um, uh, <laughs> Quick, um, get out. So a couple of years after that, you were writing some jokes for the White House Correspondents' Dinner in Washington. Actually, it's so it's through Facebook that I meet John Favreau, who is the head speechwriter for Barack Obama, and um, he invites me to contribute jokes to the White House Correspondents' Dinner. And then I, I did that for five years. Well, we have one of them oh, from excellent. 2011 when the president was Barack Obama and he did his funny routine, including this joke. I've even let down my key core constituency, movie stars. <laughs> Just the other day, Matt Damon. I, I love Matt Damon. Love the guy. Matt Damon said he was disappointed in my performance. Well, Matt... I just saw the Adjustment Bureau, so (laughs) right back at you, buddy. And that one was um, a nail-biter because I'd written it, and John really liked it, and it was in the script. And then the morning of the speech, John wrote me and said, um, the president has cold feet. He's worried he might offend Matt. And I wrote back, I saw the Adjustment Bureau. Truth is a defense. (laughs) 
Um, and so he went with it. He did, and and I I didn't know whether he'd do it or not. So when I heard uh, the president say Matt Damon, I love the guy. I like screamed, "He's doing it!" Because you were watching it on C-SPAN. I was. Um, you wrote a lot of jokes for him over the years. Did did you ever get like a autographed picture or thanks now? I did. He autographed it um, with, uh, thanks for the jokes, glad I could provide the material. Nice. Pretty funny. Uh, Your work as an Obama comedy minion is just one chapter of Just the Funny Parts. So what is the overall response you want from readers uh, after they've read the whole book? I would hope laugh. I I think, um, you know, I called it just the funny parts instead of just the angry and bitter parts. Right. I hope it's like equal parts about comedy, about writing, about feminism. And I think it's pretty eye-opening for men. I do really want men to read the book. And I always say, come for the Simpsons, stay for the feminism. Uh, Nell Scovell, thank you very much. This was just uh, a pleasure, as is your book. Oh, well, thank you for teaching me how to write, Kurt. Nell Scovell's book, Just the Funny Parts, is out now. Thanks for listening, and you can subscribe to Studio 360 at iTunes or Overcast or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. 